Before we look into God's word, let us speak with him once more and ask for his assistance. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for sending your Son into the world. And we thank you that by his sacrifice you can speak to us through him. We have your very words before us today. We pray that we may learn more about your Son Jesus Christ and who he is from looking into your word. And we may learn more about ourselves and how desperate we are for a Saviour and how much more we should cling to the cross than anything that we can offer you. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, I do enjoy movies and I do enjoy movies that involve uh, action movies and murder movies, particularly ones with serial killers. They're the ones that I, I like a lot and I always like it as they move through the movie how they're gradually trying to work out who the murderer is. And I like it when you get to see the murderer as sort of the person who is outside the film and, and you, you know who it is and you're just waiting for the, the FBI or the CIA to finally work out who it is that's doing all the serial killing. And when they finally work it out and it's towards the end of the movie, they then go to catch the person. And that's always the exciting bit and particularly if the criminal is a really bad guy, a really evil person, you really want to make sure they get him and they pull out all the stops to get him. And so I love seeing the police work together uh, and go to catch the person and so they put on the body armour, they get stacks of people there, they get snipers maybe uh, watching the, the home, they get helicopters maybe circling overhead, they pull out all the stops and they go in with the machine guns and you, you really want them to catch the person. Those are the exciting moments in the film as they catch that criminal. And that's what we're looking at this morning today. We're looking at that scene where they finally catch the criminal. The criminal is Jesus Christ. He's the one who has been accused of being, uh, who's been doing things against the state, that he's been a political rebel. And so they're out to finally catch him. And that's what we've got recorded in that passage that John read to us in John chapter 18 verses 1 to 11, and so that's what we're looking at this morning, is Jesus' arrest, his arrest in there. So if you've got Bibles there, it'd be good to turn to page 1071 in the Black Pew Bibles, John chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. But this arrest is kind of unusual. It's not like the usual arrest that you see in the movies, where the criminal is really the criminal and he's getting arrested, because what does he usually try to do? he usually tries to run away. He usually tries to do the dash. As soon as he realises the game's up and he actually knows that he is a murderer, he usually does the dash. He tries to get out the back door, he tries to get out a window, maybe he's got some little escape hatch that goes down underneath the ground. He's prepared for this if this ever comes up. He tries to do the dash. But Jesus, interestingly, doesn't try to get away. He doesn't resist arrest. And this makes it unusual because it wasn't that in those days the criminals always, you know, willingly were arrested. Criminals have always, I expect, tried to get away. Whenever they knew that they were going to get arrested, they always run away. And so we see that Jesus was actually expected to resist arrest in this passage. There's some clues there that Jesus was expected to resist the arrest. And so that's my first main point. Jesus was expected to resist. How do we know this? Well, we know it because the enemies 
took certain preparations in going to arrest him. So there's a few clues. The first clue is they got someone to betray Jesus. And we see that with Judas. In verse 2 of John chapter 18, we see Judas. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. You only get a traitor on the inside when you expect that it's going to be difficult to arrest someone. You see that in the movies as well. Whenever they're trying to uh, get someone who is really hard to get, maybe it's a mafia movie, and they always send someone from the police in to infiltrate and get into the, the mafia so that they can betray the boss in the end. And they go through all kinds of things. You see these policemen, they go through all the the stages of becoming part of the group and getting inside knowledge. And so you see that then when they want to arrest the person, they use that insider to facilitate the arrest because they realise that it's going to be a resisted arrest. And so they find out where the mafia uh, boss is going to be and the, the traitor gives him up. And so we see the same with Jesus. They expected Jesus to resist the arrest So they got a traitor. They got someone to betray Jesus to the law. So that's one clue that we see that Jesus was expected to resist. The other thing that we see is that they brought in the armed police. They brought in the armed police. You see this in verse 3. Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. We'll get to the soldiers in a second, but that, that second group there, the some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees, they were like the temple guards. So the, the Jews had their own sort of little police force, but they were unarmed generally. You didn't need weapons in the temple, and uh, when you went out to arrest someone, you didn't take your weapons with you. So they're kind of like the, the English bobbies, you know, they, they don't carry weapons. I'm always surprised that they continue doing that. I'm waiting for the day that they pull out guns. Uh, I can't imagine being a policeman and not having a gun over in England, but that's the equivalent. They had unarmed police. But when they go to arrest someone in in England, they will pull in sometimes armed police if they realise that it's going to be a resisted arrest. And so we see the same thing happening here with Jesus. They bring weapons. It's actually mentioned there in the text because it is something unusual. They thought that Jesus would do the dash, that there'd be some sort of resistance, and so they bring along the weapons. The other thing that they bring along is the military. You see that in verse 3. So Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers. A detachment of soldiers would be, uh, could be as many as 600 men, but they didn't always deploy all the 600. Sometimes they'd only deploy 100 or 200 as, and still call it a detachment. So they'd send out some soldiers. And so this indicates quite strongly that Jesus was expected to resist the arrest, that they actually sent the military. Now, we today, we rarely see the military get involved in in our lives, but it can happen, and it does happen in some countries when there's political disturbances. What do we send over? We send over the military to help sort out those problems. And if there was uh, some major political problem going on here, riots and this kind of thing, I'm sure the military would be deployed uh, if necessary. So you actually send out the military. Was this a common thing to do in Jerusalem at this time? Well, at this time, yes, and in Jerusalem, yes, because Jerusalem was the Jewish capital 
And the Jews were notorious for hating the Romans. They were always having riots, they were always trying to throw off the Roman yoke and so there was often a very strong military presence in Jerusalem. The other thing is, is this time when Jesus is arrested, it's the Passover. What's the Passover? The Passover is the time when the Jews remember their exodus from Egypt, their previous slave owners. So they were enslaved in Egypt and then they get set free. And so they always remember getting set free from being slaves. Now, where are they? They're slaves to the Romans. They were occupied by the Romans and so a lot of them saw themselves as enslaved again. And so at the time of the Passover, there were often riots. There were often, because uh, the religious fervour was high, there were huge numbers of Jews flocking into Jerusalem. So it was the time, if you were going to get some Jews together and cause a riot, this was the time. And so they brought in extra military force, particularly at this time, year by year. This year wasn't unusual. They often brought in, at the time of the Passover, military support for any political rebels that might be out there. And is Jesus a political rebel? Well, yes, he's accused of doing that. He's accused of being the king of the Jews, setting himself up as a king, setting himself up as a rival to Caesar. And so it's logical then that they have gone to the military and said, look, we've got to get this guy. He's popular and so we need to put him down. We see that he's quite popular back in John 12 uh, and when he comes into Jerusalem. There's all these crowds getting all excited and worked up. He was a popular person. Huge numbers of people used to come to him and hear him preach and see his miracles. And so if there was going to be a political rebel who was going to have good support, this was the guy. We need to bring in the military as well as our armed police force. And then the last thing that we see that, Jesus, uh, that shows evidence that Jesus was expected to resist is the fact that they bring torches and lanterns. It's at the end of verse 3, that last sentence, they were carrying torches and lanterns. Jesus, uh, they were going to arrest at night and, uh, and so he was out in, in the valley, in the garden and he was expected to be able to hide behind trees and hide behind rocks and this kind of thing so we need to bring along torches and lanterns. And this is in fact, in spite of, in spite of the fact that it was a full moon at the Passover. So there would have been plenty of light around. So they would have had plenty of light usually and so they wouldn't have needed these torches and lanterns. But Jesus was expected to run away. As soon as he knew the game was up, he was expected to, to do the dash and to get out of there. So they needed some torches and lanterns to find him when he's hiding behind a tree. Alright, so first main point, Jesus is expected to resist. The second main point is Jesus did not resist. We see quite clearly in the passage that Jesus did not resist arrest and there's quite a number of clues as to, to show that he didn't expect to resist arrest either. The first thing that we see is that he goes to his usual spot. In verse 1 of chapter 18 it says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was an olive grove and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. You know, the, the thing you don't do as a criminal when you're expecting to get arrested is you don't go to your usual places. You see that in the movies all the time. I'm not a criminal, so I've never had to do this kind of thing, but I see it in the movies, so I'm going to draw on the movies a lot today. The movies, you see it 
they don't go to their usual spots. They always go and find someone else and they don't even go to their relatives' houses usually. If they know that they're being watched, they don't go to the relatives, they go to a friend or they go to somewhere that they, and they try and leave the country even. You don't go to your usual spot if you're going to get arrested. What does Jesus do? Does he try to resist arrest? No, he goes to the place, the very place where he usually goes. And he knows that they've got a traitor and that traitor knows where he is. He goes to his usual spot. The other clue that we notice that he doesn't want to resist arrest is that he goes to his usual spot which isn't a crowded place. You see in the movies when the criminals go to meet the enemy and they're trying to arrange some meeting with the, the, the police, they go to a crowded place. They always go to a marketplace, they go where there's lots of people or they go, they're in a place surrounded by a lot of their own people who are going to support them. What does Jesus do? He's got supporters in Jerusalem. He's got lots of people praising him and loving him. What does he do? He goes out onto a valley, into a little garden, out out in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't expect to resist arrest. If he wanted to bring support to him, he would make sure he was surrounded by people who were going to support him. But instead, he goes to a lonely place where it's going to facilitate the arrest. The other thing that we see, and this is the most clear one, is that when they come to arrest him, what does Jesus do? He goes out to meet them. We see that in verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Criminals, when they see the police cars swarming up the road, they don't walk out the front door and say, here I am, what is it you're after? They don't go out to meet the person. Usually they have some sort of strong door and you see the the police get out with the battering ram and they start to hammer away at it. What does Jesus do? No battering ram needed here on my little garden gate. I'm coming out to meet them. He doesn't resist arrest. The other thing we see is that Jesus is the one asking the questions. He's kind of speeding up the arrest. We see it in verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? And then down in verse 7, again he asks them, Who is it you want? It's the people doing the arresting who usually ask all the questions, who are doing the interrogation. But here we see Jesus speeding up the process. He's saying, Okay, who are you after? I'm the one. Who are you after? He's the one doing the questions. And that ties into the next thing that we see, is that he doesn't try to hide his identity. If you're going to get arrested for being a criminal, you try and hide your identity if you can. You can put on disguise and this kind of thing and you don't say your real name. You get a false passport and this kind of thing. What does Jesus do? They say, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, is who we're looking for in verse 5. Jesus says, oh no, I'm, I'm Peter. No, he says, I am he, Jesus said. And then when they ask again in verse 7 and then he tells them in verse 8, I told you that I am he. I've already told you that I'm the one. Arrest me, come on, bring it on. And then we see that he doesn't try to get away when they all fall over. There's actually an opportunity for him to get away here. It's not like he was surrounded and he suddenly went, oh, well, I may as well just give myself up. There is an opportunity for him to get away. And we see that when he says, I am he, in verse 5, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them, and when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. The soldiers and the police there, they all fall over. Now, you may wonder, well, why did they all fall over? There's two fairly likely reasons. 
I'm still not really um, sure which is the right one. But the thing is, they did fall over. One is that when he said, I am he, he was actually showing his divinity because the name of God in the Old Testament is I am and throughout John's Gospel there is this emphasis on Jesus saying I am and the Jews actually cotton on to what he's saying. He's claiming to be God. And so when he says I am, he doesn't say my name is Jesus. He says I am. He's actually showing his divinity and they get this glimpse of who he is and they all fall over flat in worship of him before him. That's the possibility. I'm not sure whether that is true. A lot of the commentators will go down that line and they say that is the case. What kind of makes it hard for me to believe is that he shows his divinity and then they go and arrest him. If I fell over in worship of someone, I'd be a little reluctant to touch them afterwards. Uh, It just doesn't make much sense to me. Some people say it shows the hardness of human hearts, that they're sinners, they've seen Christ's divinity and they still go on and arrest him. The other possible reason is that Jesus being so bold and coming out the front door and saying, I'm the one, he kind of startles them and so they're all marching ready to, and there's, you know, we could have as many as 600 men there, coming in you know, full force to try and arrest, they're all racing along to get in and Jesus comes out boldly and they go, oh, 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 this is the one and the people at the front stop and the people behind all sort of run into this wall of people that have stopped and they all start to fall over one another. Now, I I, kind of like that one uh, because it makes sense of why they can arrest him further on. But whatever happened and whatever the reason is for them all falling over, the important thing to notice is that he doesn't try to get away at this point. He doesn't see this as an opportunity to, to run away. He stands there and says, again, who are you looking for? I'm the one. He doesn't resist the arrest. Whereas Peter, we see, he kind of sees them all flat on the ground and goes, ooh, good opportunity to start defending. And so he pulls out his sword. And that is my last point, is that Jesus prevents resistance even from his supporters. They're there. He's got this small little group with him and they do try to support him. We see that with Peter. He pulls out this sword and tries to take a cut at them. Some people think he tried to get the ear, but uh, and that would be quite a, a difficult thing to, I, I think. Well, maybe he's a better swordsman than I would ever be, but uh, that he locked off the ear deliberately. But it seems like he sort of took a, a half-hearted blow and went for the head, but kind of just copped the ear instead. And what does Jesus say? Oh, yes, you're like one of those guys who's taking a shot so that I can get away. One of my followers, you know, you're, you're taking a, a couple of shots at the, the enemy as they come so that I can get away. Does he say, oh, good opportunity, thanks, Peter? No, what does he do? Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, gives him an imperative, put your sword away, put that thing away that you're waving around. Look, you can't even cut the guy's head off. All you can do is cut his ear off. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? He even stops one of his followers from resisting the arrest for him. Jesus quite clearly wants to be arrested. He's quite clearly, willingly going to his arrest and to his punishment. And that flies in the face of a common perception. I was talking to an atheist who was talking about Jesus Christ and who he was and he said, as far as I'm concerned, Jesus Christ a political rebel who was put down by the Romans. He did exist, just as the Romans existed, but all he was was a political rebel that was put down by the Romans. 
And if all you knew of Jesus Christ was that he existed roughly 2,000 years ago and he was crucified by the Romans, then that would be quite a logical conclusion. To be crucified was to be owned by the government, to be mastered by the government. When you got crucified, it was a statement to all those around that you were scum in the sight of the Romans and that you could be controlled. It was an excruciating death. It was a terrible death and it just showed the Romans' power over you. And so it kind of makes sense. Political rebel owned by the government. But here we see in a historical account we have more than just that he was crucified many years ago by the Romans. We see an eyewitness saying he willingly was arrested. He wasn't a political rebel who was trying to resist arrest. He went willingly to the cross. And that brings me to my third main point. We've seen Jesus was expected to resist. Then we saw Jesus did not resist. My third and last main point is why did Jesus not resist? Why did Jesus not resist arrest? Well, maybe Jesus didn't resist arrest, you think, because he didn't actually know that he was going to get killed. Maybe he thought he'd get off. Maybe he remembered his own words, the truth will set you free. And he knew he wasn't a political rebel. And so he actually went to get arrested. He saw them as a safety net and that they would give him a proper trial and that he would be okay. He didn't actually know what was coming to him. Or if he did, he thought he would at least get off. And you see that in some movies. I watched a really excellent um, Anthony Hopkins movie recently where at the beginning he murders his wife and then he actually calls in the murder to the police. And so the, the police show up and they, they arrest him and he does it all because he thinks he will get off. He's set the scene up so well and he's got all the pieces in play that he believes he will get off at the end of it because it's something to do with the murder weapon. Really excellent movie and it just shows that some criminals don't resist arrest. But in this case he didn't resist arrest because he thought he would get off. He thought that he would be safe and that he would be found not guilty and get away with his wife's murder. Is this the case with Jesus? Does he believe that he will actually get off and he didn't know that he was actually going to be crucified? Well, the text tells us that he did know what was coming to him. What do we see in verse 4 of John chapter 18? Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him. Jesus knew what was coming and he still didn't resist arrest. He willingly went even knowing that he was going to be crucified. And the other clue is at the very end of the passage we're looking at, the end of John 18 verse 11, we see him say to Peter, put your sword away, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? What is this cup that Jesus is talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a cup of the Lord that would come to people and sometimes it was a cup of blessing, but more often it was the cup of the Lord's wrath. It was the cup of suffering that God would give to those who sinned against him. And so Jesus knew not only that he was going to be crucified, he knew that he was going to have the Lord's wrath poured out upon him at the cross. He knew what was coming and he went willingly to it. Jesus didn't want to resist 
arrest because he wanted to pay for human sin. Jesus went willingly to the cross because he wanted to pay for human sin. The whole point of his voluntary death is to show that he's not a political rebel who was mastered by the Romans. Instead, he was going to the cross for an entirely different purpose. He was going to the cross not to be put down for his own sins, but to pay for the sins of those who believe in him. Sin was conquered at the cross with the willing death of Jesus Christ. And we must remember that this willing death of Jesus Christ is only for those who also willingly choose to die with him. Just as Jesus went willingly to the cross, we also must willingly, as sinful humans, go to the cross with him. We must die with him. What does it mean to die with Jesus Christ? Does it mean we need to get out some some crosses and crucify ourselves? No, it means to believe in Jesus' death as the payment for your sin. As soon as you trust in Jesus' death, you are up there with him. Your sins are up there 2,000 years ago being crucified with him. The Apostle Paul explains this quite clearly for us in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, on page 1116 of the Black Pew Bibles, if you've got one there. Romans chapter 6. Reading from verse 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Sin equals death. To be freed from sin, we have to die. And there's either two deaths that you can die. You can volunteer willingly to die with Jesus Christ at the cross by putting your faith in him or you can willingly volunteer to die for an eternity in hell, the second death. You have two deaths to die. You have two options to choose from. You can willingly die with Jesus or you can willingly die for an eternity in hell. Maybe you don't want this voluntary death of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's something blocking you and you say, I don't need to die for sin because I'm not a sinner and if I am, I've only committed some sort of small sins that aren't worthy of death. They aren't worthy of the suffering that I see poured out upon Jesus Christ and they aren't worthy of eternal destruction in hell. And so I don't need to. I don't need to trust in Jesus' death and I don't need to have my own death for an eternity in hell. Well, let me tell you, you're lying to yourself and the Bible, the Word of God, says otherwise. It says that when there is sin, there is punishment and that punishment is death and destruction for eternity. And Jesus didn't have to willingly die. He didn't have to come along. Instead, he chose to in his love. He didn't have to give us a way out. It could have been that there is one option. Death for eternity in hell. And left it at that. And he would still have been a righteous God. But instead in his love he sent his son into the world to take that death for us. Don't turn that willing death away. 
Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as the payment for them. You can volunteer to die with Jesus today or you can volunteer to die for eternity in hell when you die. One day you will have to die for your sins. If you haven't died with Jesus Christ, if you haven't confessed your sins to him, repented and believed, then do it today. Don't die for your own sins. Have Jesus die for them. He willingly went to the cross to die for you. And that way on judgment day when we're all called up before the throne of God, you can say as God looks at you and who you are, you can say, I've already died, Lord. I've already died. I died with Jesus Christ. I've paid for my sins because Jesus paid for them. And so instead of being turned away from God for eternal death in hell, you go into eternal life with that glorious Lord who chose willingly to die for us because his love was so great for sinful man that he couldn't bear to see them go to eternal destruction. Die with Jesus today. Die with him. Have your sins nailed to that cross with him so that you can live with him for eternity. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for sending your Son into the world and we thank you that he willingly went to the cross, that he didn't back out, although it did cause him so much anguish to consider what he was going to do, but instead he said, not my will but your will be done and he went willingly to the cross. We pray for anyone here this morning who has not died with Jesus Christ, who has not trusted in his death as a sacrifice for their sins. We pray that they will consider the love of Christ, the way that he went willingly to the cross. And we pray that they will trust in him as the payment for their sins so that they don't have to pay for their sins. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.